Power the Future presents the Your Fracking Welcome podcast. Each week, Rick and Larry take you through the latest news you need to know to take on the eco-left. We're proud to stand with our country's energy workers who get the job done every day. And to all those greenies out there, we say, you're fracking welcome. Now, here's Rick and Larry. Oh, good morning. You know what? We don't know if it's good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We just know it's a good day if you are supporting America's energy workers, and that's exactly what we're doing here. You have stumbled upon the Your Fracking Welcome podcast. My name is Larry Barons, Communications Director for Power of the Future, joined as always by the smartest, savviest energy guy uh, north of Canada. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. No, nothing. Rick Whitbeck is joining us today. Hey, Rick, how you doing? I don't even know how to respond to that. North of Canada. How about this? How about west of Canada? And technically, since Alaska goes over into the uh, into the uh, into the eastern hemisphere, east of Canada, too. We'll, say, we'll say east of Russia. How about that? I mean, we can do that. We can, we can give you other east countries. East of Russia, west of Canada. It's Alaska. It's the greatest state in the union, bar none. Forty ninth state in the U.S. Hawaii might be uh, warmer, New Mexico might be more liberal, but Alaska has everything that you would ever want in a home state, and that is why I'm here. That's true. New Mexico is more liberal like the sun is more hot. You're absolutely right about that. Well, we're happy to be talking with everyone today, and there's a lot to cover since we last spoke with anyone, everyone, and so more specifically... Let's talk uh, some national stuff real quick, because I know Rick was watching this, and and we were as well. And it seems with Afghanistan dominating the news, as it should right now, this got lost in the shuffle of things. But people forget it was about uh, just over a week ago, we'll call it nine days, that President Biden's national security advisor put out a press release from the White House saying, essentially, this isn't going to be me paraphrasing, we understand gas prices are high, so we're going to work with OPEC to have them produce more oil. There are so many insane facets about this, but I know, Rick, you've been talking about this, I've been talking about it with everyone, and and literally everyone I talk to is confused by it. It is, why are you shutting down production in the United States and then begging other countries for oil? I know you've been, it's on your radar as well. Well, you know, I was actually up on the north slope of Alaska, up on in, in our oil field in Prudhoe Bay when that news broke, and um, it very quickly rippled through the the community up there. Right, there's about ten thousand workers in in the the patch up there at any one time, and it was uh, you know we went to the, the cafeteria. It was on everybody's you know uh, conversation. We went to the general store. It was in everybody's conversation. We went out to a couple, uh, you know, drill sites. It was in everybody's conversation. The the absurdity of President Biden's, you know, team asking OPEC Plus to to increase production when there's an all out war on Alaska's North Slope, the Permian, the you know, the Balkans, the 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 Marcellus Shale Field. It doesn't matter. Each and every one of those projects gets more heavily scrutinized than they should by this eco left uh, administration. So if you can't bring it home domestically, what do you do to lower gas prices? You ask your enemies, sworn enemies of, of America, to increase their production, generate more wealth for their countries, generate more influence for their countries, and at the expense of, of America and its energy uh, community. Yeah, I mean, this has 
layers of insanity to it. There's there's no other way around it. I mean, and everyone, the question that I am repeatedly getting from everyone is, why would we ask other countries to do something that we can do ourselves? And the only way that this would make sense is if you look at it through the lens of Joe Biden will do whatever radical environmentalist groups tell him to do. If it's put Americans out of work, he'll put Americans out of work. If it is ask other countries for oil so that we don't produce oil, he'll absolutely do that because they are his number one constituency, it seems like. It is definitely not the energy workers of our country. And, you know, on the flip side of that, too, here's another layer. The environmental groups have been absolutely silent about this. If they, you know, this is a fuel source that they tell us is, you know, ending the planet. We only have, I don't know, we need to get a countdown clock with on AOC, but I mean, I want to say we're like eight plus years left to do something. Yeah. And, and so why are they not fuming pun intended over, you know, more oil production? Uh, I, I guess they don't consider Russia, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela on the same planet. I don't know. And so the fact of the matter is when you see that Joe Biden does this and that the environmental groups aren't speaking up, you have to wonder then they're not about the environment. And you don't have to wonder. This is proof that you know. It is absolutely not about the environment. They're about political power. They are about making money for their own friends. And they are about controlling your way of life. It is just that simple. And so it is a question I think everyone should be asking their federal representative who, who hears this our voice. Why are we begging other countries to do something that we can do ourselves? Why would we have, uh, you know, you know, destabilization in the Middle East and we want to rely on them for our oil? And again, there are Americans who are ready to go to work to deliver energy. And Joe Biden, all he needs to do is get out of the way and he just can't do it. And well, it would just be nice if a lot of these folks got out of the way, Rick. But I know there are more and more folks getting in the way, particularly in Alaska. Yeah, one more, one more, just quick comment on the OPEC Plus situation. It was funny that OPEC Plus then immediately, within the day, came back and said, "No, we're not going to increase this because we actually like the fact that we're making more money per barrel. I mean, the prices are high." So nice try there, uh, President Biden. We should be taking you up on this, but we're not going to. It made him look like an absolute, absolute buffoon. Um, bad news here in Alaska as. Uh, District Court Judge uh, Sharon Gleason, who we have talked about on this show, we've talked about uh, in Power of the Futures blogs, I've talked about it on the Energy Hour that I do every week uh, on KDNT AM FM up here in Alaska, Um, Jennifer, uh, not Jennifer Granholm, Sharon Gleason, Jennifer Granholm, probably really good friend by now, put a stop to an already permitted oil and gas project up here, a huge oil and gas project, 150, 160,000 barrels a day project called the Willow Project up here in the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. She did so over the objections of both the Trump and Biden administrations who had come out and publicly supported the project. She did so over the, um, again, completed NEPA process, the completed um, permitting process. It was permitted. But this group of nine uh, environmental groups had sued about a year and a half ago, and Gleason um, got it, heard it, and ruled in favor of the ECOs. Now, anybody that knows Sharon Gleason, and unfortunately um, most Alaskans do because she has ruling after ruling after ruling that makes absolutely no sense, Larry, 
But anybody that knows Gleason knows she has an eco-bent appointed by Obama. She is the uh, eco-extremist best friend up here in Alaska. And she has dealt a, a, a crippling blow to Willow, which now has to start the process all over again. And the two things that she said in her 110-page ruling were paramount to her decision were, number one, we didn't, imp- we didn't count the polar bear impact enough. That's Fish and Wildlife Service. And uh, that BLM failed to adequately account for increased climate change from the uh, production that would happen up on the North Slope. So now every project, even after it's been permitted, is you know under the scrutiny and under the whim of, of, of an eco-judge. Um, can't say that I'm really happy with that. I know Alaskans are outraged. I know that the, the president... Um, has been silent on that, just like he has been on Afghanistan and on anything since he decided to take a week and, you know, a couple weeks and then go on vacation. Hey, man, everybody needs a vacation. But when your world is crumbling down around you, it might be time to get out of your basement in Delaware and come back and talk to the American people. Yeah, it's exactly right. You don't take vacation when there's a crisis going on unless, I guess, you're occupying the White House. But, I mean, let's talk about this federal judge decision. I have never heard of really anything that the Biden and Trump administration agreed on. This was the first thing I heard. And so when people say that we're just hyperbole and we're just throwing red meat to a conservative crowd, when we call them radical environmentalists, this is how radical they are. They found the thing that Biden and Trump can't agree on, these two administrations, and they still couldn't handle that. They still sued to stop it and got their way. And you're absolutely right. The president hasn't made a comment on it. And here's, you know, let's juxtaposition. I'll I'll stop trying to use big words. Let's compare that to what they are doing with the public leasing of lands, right? You had a federal judge in this case tell them that their moratorium on federal leasing was illegal and they had to stop doing it. Immediately, the Interior Department says, oh, we're going to appeal that. We're going to fight that. So on one hand, they're trying to stop production on all federal lands in the United States, but then the president, I, I really doubt the Biden administration will work hard to appeal this decision uh, from a federal judge. You know, I'll hope against experience, but I really doubt the experience says that, that, that they're not going to do that. Well, speaking of the Biden administration, our uh, faithful energy secretary has been in your state and mine within the last week. She just wrapped up a two-day visit here in New Mexico, and it was a, a regular dog and pony show that is brought in pretty much any time a cabinet secretary comes in, pretty much only going to meet with people that agree with you and agree with your agenda. Now, uh, admittedly, in New Mexico, that's not hard to find. I understand that. But there are a number of places she could have gone to get the real idea of what is happening in New Mexico uh, as part of the energy transition she chose not to. All she ran into were cheerleaders and people telling her how great she is. But out of those cheerleading came one nugget, was one group who was cheerleading so hard they accidentally told the truth. And that is never Mm. good for the eco-left. And so I won't name the company here, but this is from an Associated Press report from Granholm's visit to New Mexico. And it says here, the experts told Granholm that while there are some helpful provisions in the infrastructure bill pending in Congress, Tax incentives are a key driver for more development. Without more credits, officials said developers won't be able to double or triple capacity to meet uh, the administration's goals. 
So first of all, it's an admission. We're going to have to double or triple capacity to meet the administration goals. But secondly, they cannot do it without tax credits. They cannot do it without the American taxpayer footing the bill. Now, this is in contrast to what every environmentalist tells you. Solar and wind are so cheap. They're so affordable. It's so great. Well, they need more tax credits than what they're already getting. Right. And it, it just goes to show that, you know what, all this infrastructure that's going to be needed for this transition is going to cost money. And even if they do get that fat tax uh, increase, what we're going to be able to see is that electric bills are going to go up. So ratepayers are going to have to pay twice, both in their taxes and in their electric bill. Yeah, certainly, you know, the, the takeaway from that statement, Larry, to me, it is this. If the market doesn't support it, it shouldn't be being done. And, and what you're hearing right there is, is the truth from the environmental left. The markets can't support it. Traditional energy sources are less expensive to produce. They are actually, in a lot of ways, less carbon, uh, less carbon emitting to produce. Because you have to go create, you know, you have to go burn coal to create, uh, to go create wind turbine blades, for example. Correct. You can't make them any other way. So you burn off a bunch of coal to make a wind turbine blade that then may or may not work and require, according to this source, additional, not just what they have now, additional tax subsidies. Um, let's let the markets work and not mandate this just transition that the Biden administration and the eco-left are pushing, right? I mean, yeah. it's markets, not mandates. It's it's um, fact, not fiction. And right now we're getting fed a, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the latter, not a lot of the former. You're absolutely right. It boils down to this. If they have to be in a fair fight, they lose. They lose every single right. time. And so that's why they need the power of government to tip the – you know, the scales in their favor. It is insane. Well, speaking of, it looks like uh, some scales are, are switching a little more towards Pebble Mine, which is fantastic news. Yeah, we'll wrap up with this story. So the Pebble Mine, uh, the Pebble Project up here is is a is a project that could be game-changing to the eco-left if they would just let it happen. The largest known copper deposit in the Western Hemisphere, the second largest untapped copper deposit in the world. Um also, world-class deposits of molybdenum, zinc, um, gold, uh, uranium, and others, right? World-class deposit gets a bad rap because the commercial fishing industry is scared that it would somehow impact the Bristol Bay Salmon Run, which, let's be honest, nobody wants that to happen. The Bristol Bay Salmon Run supports about 15,000 uh, part-time, you know, part-time-of-the-year jobs. It brings about $2 billion of revenue into the commercial fishermen's pockets that a little bit trickles back to the state, um, but it doesn't certainly you know, equate to what the mine would bring. But Pebble in and of itself has, has finally gotten what it's been asking for, which is a hearing officer assigned to it from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Quick background for those people who may have had their uh, head stuck in the sand over the last couple of years as we've talked about this a lot here on this show. EIS, Environmental Impact Statement, comes out and says Pebble won't harm fish. Then some tapes surface where a Pebble executive was caught basically being an idiot and talking a bunch of crap. Uh, U.S. Senator Murkowski, U.S. Senator Sullivan both come out against the mine. Donald Trump Jr. tweets out against the mine. Tucker Carlson tweets out against the mine. And all of a sudden, the U.S. Army Corps 
even though they have a clean environmental impact statement, comes out and and, uh, and denies the, the, the mine the permit that they need to be able to discharge clean water. Well, Pebble, of course, appealed. And after a, what, seven-month delay, that they now have a hearing officer within the Army Corps. And, they are, and the guy is saying that, you know, the overalls could take a, another six months or so, but that he is working on it. Now, what's horrible about that is it continues to add uncertainty to a trillion-dollar, thousand-job-producing opportunity here in state on state land that really, Larry, should be a shining example of how clean mining can be done and how green energy technology can be uh, can be sourced, not from the Congo, not from the Uyghurs in, in China, but from good old American technology, American workers here in the beautiful state of Alaska, where it will not, according to the science, impact the fish. But they have a hearing officer. The appeal continues to go forward. And that's good news, because I think ultimately, if the, uh, if the eco-left were just to trust the science, like they say all the time, the science says pebbles should happen. Well, and I'll just throw in this uh, little insert. The number one component of an electric vehicle, copper. The number one copper. component of offshore wind turbines, copper. The number two component of onshore wind turbines, copper. So it's going to have to come from somewhere. Why not come from the good people of Alaska? Couldn't agree more, man. I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's the way we should probably end this edition of the Your Frack and Welcome podcast. For Larry Barron's Communications Director... Uh, with Power of the Future, I'm Rick Whitbeck, the Alaska State Director. We bid you adieu. We'll talk to you soon. Have an energetic week, everyone. And thanks again for tuning in to the Your Frackin' Welcome podcast here, wherever you're getting your podcast from. That's it for this episode of Your Fracking Welcome, brought to you by Power the Future. Check us out online at powerthefuture.com or on Twitter at PTF New Mexico and PTF Alaska. In the meantime, make sure you tell your favorite radical environmentalist, you're fracking welcome.